0: Alright, welcome everybody to the Salt City Hoops podcast. My name is Andy Larson. I'm the managing editor of SaltCityHoops.com. We are the ESPN True Hoop affiliate for the Utah Jazz. I'm here along with Ben Towsett and our beautiful new Broadway Media Studios on Broadway Street in downtown Salt Lake City. We've got a lovely view of Broadway a, a Street. A building. Third yeah. West, <laughs> yes. Um, but it's a very cool studio. Uh, for example, we can hear the intro music as it comes in this time instead of at, at the old studio where we. Let, it got so me pumped up. This is yeah the, the the latest and greatest in technology here. Thanks to ESPN 700, and we we really appreciate um, ESPN 700 Broadway Media, Deloitte Hansen and the rest of the the people in charge of this for getting this studio done because it, it is beautiful. But um we're in august we're in the doldrums of the nba season but there is still a lot to talk about with the utah jazz and the nba um, we've got some extensions going on uh, that the jazz could sign on either alec burks or ennis Cantor. Uh, we kind of left that conversation in the middle last time and maybe 20 percent of the way through so i want to get into more detail on that uh this week we also have seth Partno of nylon calculus and where offense happens joining us today He's going to give us kind of a national perspective on those two deals on whether or not the jazz should match Alec, or I guess should extend Alec Burks or Ennis Cantor and really what reasonable deals would look like for those two guys. Um, Just, you know, I think sometimes we get so caught up in these, in our local fandom for jazz players that sometimes it's nice to get a national perspective on what guys are actually worth in, in a larger marketplace. So, um i'm excited to hear from seth he is also one of the best analytical writers out there so it'll be good to talk to him we want to talk to him about sport view and um, vantage stuff like that he wrote a great article on nylon calculus um kind of detailing all of that in about a couple of weeks ago i'd like to talk to him about that so as a nerd i'm excited for that but oh, yeah. let's let's get into the um alec bergson and his canter conversation and uh, you know Obviously, the Jazz don't have to decide on this now. They've still got a month and a half to start talking with the agents and, and really kind of deciding what they're going to be doing. What's your feeling? And first of all, do you think that these guys are going to get get extended? What should the Jazz be considering as they look at these contracts? Ben, tell me
1: you know as we've seen with Gordon Hayward this year uh the restricted free agency and the the process leading up to restricted free agency uh, is one of the most intriguing and potentially complex uh within the entire NBA and and for those, uh, anyone, uh, just that wasn't sure on the contract situation, again, with, with both Cantor and Burks, if they aren't locked up by the beginning of this season for extensions that would kick in next season, then they'll go the same route as Hayward went this year. They will become restricted free agents at the end of this upcoming season. Right. Now, neither is likely at this point to receive the same sort of max offers that, uh, that Hayward clearly obviously did. Uh, but that said, It's still a complex game, and with the Jazz building their salary over the next few years and preparing uh, for the point where these younger players are going to be reaching an older age and hitting their second and potentially even third contracts, of course, these become larger considerations. and. Um in terms of what I think the Jazz need to be looking at, to me, the main question involved in any any sort any of these sort of situations is always going to be what is the likelihood that in the upcoming year where if we don't extend the guy before the year starts and we let him play the year out, what is the likelihood that that his value during the the upcoming year becomes significantly higher than what we were offering him at the time. And I said, you know, I suppose we saw something of the, and of course that's a, an extremely complex question to answer, but I think we saw a, a bit of that with Hayward, you know, with the reports that yeah, apparently he was offered the 4 years or he was looking for the 4 years 52 initially and the Jazz didn't want to do it. Whether or not there's entire truth to those rumors, we don't know 100%, but if that's the case then it looks like the Jazz may have per, perhaps slightly Slightly underestimated the market, and given you know, given the fact that Hayward didn't exactly have his best year, and still received a max offer, the Jazz may have gauged that a little incorrectly. May have saved them or not saved themselves a couple of million there. Now, with these two guys, it's different. Neither of them is going to take a max offer. And the, the one I'm most intrigued with, as tends to frequently be the case for me, is, is Burks. I think, that, I think that Cantor, not that I wouldn't like to necessarily extend Cantor, but I do think that given his pedigree as a third overall pick and the offensive diversity that he does have, which is reasonable, um, that I do think his agents and his people are probably going to be asking for more than what... I think they're going to probably be looking in the $8, $9, 10000000 a year type range. Um, um, and you correct me if you if you have any uh, more specifics on that but it, to me that feels like roughly where they'll be looking at where they think they could get him a contract elsewhere and i'm just not sure that he's proven that sort of value just yeah. yet um, no I,
0: and I i think he may even be looking for more as you know as a guy as a young guy who's put up the kind of at least basic sort of production you know mm-hmm. if you look at his basic stats they are great the advanced stats not so
1: much yeah and they, you know they can make a bunch of art you know when people throw at them the, the defensive issues and things like that they can ma- they can definitely use the scheme argument and the, the previous coaching staff and things like that as a as an argument and i, I think you're right i think there's a, a pretty solid chance honestly that they're attempting to get him an eight figure per year deal and yeah. so the question then is do the jazz think that there's a real chance that his performance this upcoming year even you know even if he touches his ceiling for what this year might be that he's going to well exceed that value and that then you know neck we're starting in the offseason next season all of a sudden there's going to be teams looking at him for 11 or for 12 something like that and do we think that's realistic and to me, I'm not so sure at this point. Um, I, I have some real questions about his his just generally his his feel for the game and his his basketball IQ, and that's on both ends. His passing really hasn't progressed. He's really easy to double team in the post because he he, he really doesn't know where to go out of it. I, I We talked. We mentioned this last week briefly, or maybe the week before briefly, but I, you know I question whether or not he's uh, he, he's got the passing game and sort of the movement to play within a motion system. Although, of course, you know there are, it's more than just running around when you're a center. Obviously, there's a of other things you have to do, but screen setting and things like that, he still has a lot of areas to work on there. So I I think Cantor's a fairly big question mark. I don't know. What do you think?
0: Well, so, uh, I mean, kind of looking at extensions in general and whether or not it makes sense to do them now or, you know, wait until you have restricted free agency. I think what a lot of people forget is the value of information, whether or not you can learn something big from this next year. Mm -hmm. And I think with... Hayward the Jazz wanted to know you know can you be a max player along with things like are you going to be injured and you know have a career-ending injury or you know whatever I I, the Jazz basically took the value of I want to know more about Gordon Hayward and his future and his 2013-14 season and said that was worth say six million dollars to them you know I I think 52 is probably a a little bit lower than it was, as a side note four years fifty two million okay um, I think there were some bonusing things and other things like yeah. that going on there where hayward 's contract should they have had they come to an agreement as as an extension last October, uh, that would have been a higher value deal than a four year fifty two million dollar deal
1: okay that wouldn 't surprise me at all
0: so but the jazz decided, look if we 're going to be making a sixty million ish dollar investment on Gordon Hayward we want to know what Gordon Hayward's year four looks like, what he looks like as a max player, what his strengths and weaknesses are, uh, and, you know, whether or not he can do it, whether or not he falls apart as a leader of a team, whether or not he, you know... Again, the career-ending injury thing is a real is a real risk. Sure, you could... If a guy gets a career-ending injury, you still have to pay him. He may not count against your cap because you may be able to get an exception, but still, that's $60 million of money that you have to pay him yeah. if he gets injured. So... You know, I I think the Jazz basically felt that it was worthwhile to make a ten percent sort of gamble. uh, Yeah, gamble on you know what Hayward's going to be doing for the next season before necessarily throwing out an extension. Yeah, and given the the, oh, sorry, no, you go ahead. No, and so and so, I think that makes sense with Hayward. And then, so now, how do we take this lesson to Burks and Cantor? Cantor, I think, is a big one where we honestly have no idea what kind of player Cantor is. And part of that is that the coaching staff limited him last season in terms of not being able to take the three-point shot. Um, And it's it's clear that Ennis Cantor and Ty Corbin did not have a good rapport. Uh, And and so you want to see what he can do with the second coach, right? I mean... Alec Burks, I think, is more clear who he is and what he can do on the floor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he still may be able to improve. He may be able to take the scoring to the next step. He may be able to take the defending and secondary skills to the next step. But, uh, you know, he's going to be around the, a reasonable value. Uh, you know, his, his range is more of like two to $3 million window. Um and at least in my mind, then Ennis Cantor who could be worth anywhere from like five million dollars to fifteen
1: million dollars. You know what I mean? Yeah, now that high end I think is a bit of a stretch. But yeah, yeah. No, I think I, mean, I, uh, I I definitely agree with the we yeah, overall like uh, sorry, I just interrupt oh, no, but you're... like Al Jefferson got fourteen
0: million dollars a year mm-hmm. and what does a young Al Jefferson get, right? Like a twenty three year old Al Jefferson and, and you could easily see Ennis Cantor becoming Al Jefferson, right? Like I, I don't know.
1: It's not impossible.
0: I I, I just don't Think that it, it really could be a huge range for Cantor and it's definitely worth the Jazz's time next year to figure what he is, especially given the restricted free agency.
1: Yeah definitely and and i think that uh i agree definitely there that the, the 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 variability in terms of how much cancer may end up being worth is far larger than burks and that's another good way to look at it is 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 that potential gamble the risk that you're taking there and, and as is everything in the nba a bit of a risk reward is the gamble of 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 you know letting Cantor play out and then having other teams have the option of him but also having this extra year to figure out more things about him and to really narrow his range of how much he's actually worth is that potentially more valuable than the you know the the couple million that you might sacrifice if let's say he has a great year and is you know is all of a sudden looking more like the number three overall pick and and starts receiving some big eight figure offers from some other teams
0: yeah and and I mean the truth of the matter is that Cantor's agent is going to be asking for those eight-figure-dollar offers right now, right now, on based on that potential. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you kind of have to decide whether or not you want to pay at the high end for that, because you know his agent's not going to take a seven-year million-dollar-a-year offer. At least I don't think so. No, I don't think so either. uh, Because of that potential, because it could cost him literally tens of millions of dollars down the road. Anyway, we've got Seth Partno on the phone joining us. Seth, are you there?
2: I'm here. Thanks for having me.
0: Cool. Yeah. No problem. Thanks for joining us. So again, Seth is you're the proprietor of Where Offense uh, contributor to Nylon Calculus. Am I missing anything?
2: Um, basically uh, all over the uh, the true uh, Sorry, the the uh, HP, uh, Harvard Paroxysm Network. Yeah, Seth is how everywhere. I've gotten gotten roped into writing a bunch of different places over the summer.
1: <laughs> You've been um, writing at Upside yeah, Motor uh, as well, right?
2: Yeah, uh, there and mid level exceptional and Harvard Paroxysm and a little bit at uh, the Fancy Stats blog on the Washington Post. Yeah.
1: It's so on. Huh? <laughs> yeah, people yeah. who are guys uh, any jazz readers who are are, are into analytics and in and, and Andy and I's writing in general overall definitely check out Seth. He's on Twitter at uh, at where offense happens. The offense is slightly shortened, right? No, you with where offense happens without any vowels. Yeah, where yeah, pretty much where <laughs> offense happens without any vowels. Um Seth is a great resource and we're going to get into a little bit uh Seth has been doing some really really great in-depth research of the uh the sport view and vantage uh Basically player tracking data um, we're going to talk a little bit first about uh, what the subject that we were just on which is the uh, potential extensions for uh, Ennis cancer and Alec Burks and we 're going to get kind of get Seth's perspective from more, more of a national perspective because as Andy said we're kind of in a, a little bit of our own bubble here and we like to kind of d- take a step back and look at what the more general perspective is there uh, but then we're going to get into some of that more analytical stuff at the end which i'm actually I'm really excited to do um, so Seth your your thoughts we're, we're kind of we're getting into we're talking mostly about Cantor at first and how of the two two out of out of Cantor and Burks, the guys that you could extend this summer. Cantor seems to have the far larger Variability in terms of where his real NBA value might lie, like as i don 't know if you were, were were on the line and were able to hear what Andy just said about you know i, I think it 's entirely the end. Re- I got the end okay yeah, well, about how you know it, it really is realistic that Cantor could be worth as a, you know in for his second contract could be worth roughly five million per year over four years, or really could be worth twelve thirteen fourteen, even the high end of fifteen if he really comes along in a bunch of areas and whereas I think we know a bit more about Burks uh, and who he is, and I think that ranges. Although he still has a ceiling, he could hit this year, right? I, I think it's just a little bit more, a little bit more uh, concrete there. What What would you think about that, Seth?
2: Um, I, I tend to agree with that. Also, I think that uh, that kind of Burks uh, um, marketability, I guess, is going to be sort of artificially limited by the fact that that word is coming back, so there's there's and and with Exum coming in and and Burke, you know being there all all year, just kind of the, the minutes and opportunities that that he's going to get to put up gaudy stats, which you know as for as as much as, as we kind of know that that you know per minute and rate stats are 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 more important, really. Um, that, that those kind of top line numbers still kind of are are the eye popping figures that might draw a big offer. And so he's he's maybe a little bit uh, uh might might get a little undersold by just the, the limitations that are placed on him by the, the jazz's roster. Um and I tend to I agree with you that also that, that Cantor has a a pretty big range. Um I think the analogy though i i draw is is that Cantor's also a player type the league may be, you know, moving away from. There was the the big Zach Lowe article about uh, you know, Uh, you know, uh, focusing kind of on Greg Monroe and, and why he's not getting a big offer. And, you know, not that there, there's perfectly analogous players, but I think there's some, there's some similarities there that, that, you know, would make me perhaps reticent to, to want to lock Cantor down to a, to a big number right now. I mean, if you end up having to, to sign, sign him, you know, your, yourself in free agency in a year, that's, it seems like a good problem to have and a better problem to have than we lock this guy in for way too much money now. And he's, he is, you know, a career decent backup. It turns out.
1: Yeah. And you know, we we may have a chance to you know referencing back to that Zach article which was which was great by the way and one of the things that he he was kind of talking about is these these power forwards who in general can't shoot many threes and can't defend centers because that's the that's the sort of the the sort of combo set skill set that you need in today's evolving NBA where positional matters a little bit less and matchups matter a little bit or more or at least one or the other or yeah at least one of the two now we may see Cantor as we have kind of mentioned around the fringes we may see Cantor develop a three this year if the uh, at least to corner three. If the coaching staff gives him the go-ahead, he, he does seem to have the baseline shooting numbers to potentially back that up uh, from last year, and I, I would like to see if, if he does that. But now... Uh, maybe just a second on Burks as well. And now, Seth, uh, I- I've been on your podcast, and, and from yep. that, you know my uh, you know my undying <laughs> love for Alec Burks, uh, and how uh, potentially unrealistic I sometimes get. But being <laughs> being realistic and sticking within that sphere, you know, this is a guy who, if you look at some some synergy numbers, and we know that these aren't a- always perfect; these are generally only for finished plays. Um, but his numbers off screens, his numbers on handoffs, his numbers on cut plays are all top fifty finishing numbers in the league. Um, he he's those are the types of things that fit within the sort of motion system that the jazz are going to be running and uh he was really good also in isolation and uh I really think that Burks you know despite what you're saying, which is very true about that you know the fact that Hayward's coming back and that he's probably not going to be the first or really even a second option in that starting lineup assuming that he's in it and not coming off the bench as he was last year, um, I still do think there's reasonable room for a, another sort of mini leap from Burks this year in a system that I think is really going to be just kind of perfectly tailored to him if you're if you're kind of just gauging the the value of the open market, let's say he was hitting the open market now this this summer. What what kind of number are you placing him at roughly in terms of a per year salary? And if you're the Jazz, what kind of offer are you potentially offering him this summer, knowing that he could we could see another little improvement from him, and then that number might go up next off season?
2: Are you you're, you're asking what in this this free agent market just passed? I think that 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 is what kind of offer he would have got. Yeah. Or um, that's a, that's a, that's a good question. I mean, I. The numbers that I'd say are going to seem low just in comparison. I mean, we saw, you know, C.J. Miles, Jody Meeks type uh, players get, you know, in the four and a half, five and a half million range. And, you know, I think that uh, given his age and skill set, Burks is worth a, a, a bit more than that on a gamble, but at the same time, he's he's. Completely, and, and forgive me, Ben, but he's completely <laughs> unproven in kind of you know any sort of uh, meaningful situation. Oh
0: yeah,
2: uh, and it's 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 uh, so it's it's hard to hard to you know put a hundred percent stock in, in in what 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 you are correctly pointing out are some some pretty solid indicators about his his you know offensive skills in terms of, of uh, doing things that, that are valuable in, in today's NBA game. So would he have gotten uh, you know, would he have gotten the Avery Bradley offer this, this summer? Almost certainly not. Um would he've gotten twenty million for three years, maybe. Um and would he've gotten, you know, about what, what CJ Miles or, or or Meeks got, you know, a little bit less than that. I, you know, that, that it's probably in or in around that range, somewhere between four and six is probably uh, what what my my guess would be would it would have he would have gotten uh, per year uh, this summer?
0: And again, maybe we are just you know crazy Utah fanboys, but to me that just sounds low because I you know I I look at the stats and I, and I guess my heart also says that Alec Burks is a better player than say Jody Meeks or CJ Miles.
2: Yeah, yeah, and but part of that is also I mean he's he's a, a completely under the radar player. Yeah, um, for, for na- nationally, and you know that. Uh, as as much as we like to to think that that things are, are are getting perfectly rational in that regard, I think that matters. I mean, I think that you know the the amount of attention that that you know say a uh, a Lance Stevenson or a Chandler Parsons get is is tied, uh you know to their to their national profile to some degree. Yeah. Um, and and I'm not you know not comparing you know. Uh, Perks to those players because I, I I think those are both pretty good players, but I mean you know Chandler Parsons got you know fourteen point whatever million you know uh, a year started starting out, and that's partially that's that's you know not a, not his real salary because uh, it, it's really they're paying him and Dirk twenty three million combined, and so the money that, that Dirk you know gave back uh, Dallas put into the Parsons contract. But, but still he you know he's 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 much more of a name, and and that that you know. It, Still matters to a certain degree in in, in these, these contract negotiations.
1: Yeah, and I think that could actually play into a bit of an advantage for the Jazz, and that's kind of one of the points I've made to in in uh, extend him now. Camp is that you know if if he's really coming in as a uh, on the market as a four to six million dollar per year player, and I, I do tend to think it's on the, the slightly higher end of that, given what he showed last year, even for a, a pretty anemic offense. Um, it, you know, if you can get him at six for three years right now. I, I just... I- I really think, and again, this could be me overvaluing him, given my my own personal thoughts. But also looking at where the Jazz's salary is at for the next couple years, looking at where their big extensions are going to have to come for if they need a big extension for Trey Burke d- down the line, if they need a big extension for Dante Exum down the line, uh, I-, I see it as something that's really easily doable for us. I'd him. be thrilled. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's like
0: that's the truth. As, as a Jazz fan, I look at three eighteen and say, "Wow, that's a great deal for Alec Burks." You know, I you know, sign me up today. And that's, I guess, that's where I come in and say, you know, as Burke's agent, I don't know if I take that offer right away. Do you? I mean, especially, especially given how free agency has turned out for some of these guys like C.J. Miles, Ben Gordon, Jody Meeks. There's a lot of positional scarcity right now in the wing. You know, why not see what the market has to offer rather than take a deal like three eighteen?
1: Yeah, and and, and, oh no, you go ahead, Seth. No, I, I think I think I think that's right and and you actually you, you
2: kind of you, you touched on 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 sort of a point that I that I meant to make earlier is that you know uh, sort of the his value kind of artificially being held down by by his his lack of, of big of big stats I mean I think that's a a decent part of what has made San Antonio successful is is you know partially it's it's you know long term thinking over the course of the season that you know if we don't play anybody more than you know 30 32 minutes a game they're going to be fresh in the playoffs but also if we if we never play anybody that much then nobody ever throws a max offer at our guys cuz you know you know Kawhi Leonard is averaging you know 12 points a game instead of 18 if he was playing you know 40 minutes a game or something like that and then, and, and and again not to compare burks to those players but i mean if you can If you can, you know, realize some of, some of that value now when he's, his, his, you know, playing time and role is, is at its lowest and people haven't really realized that, you know, he's a really good player, just not playing that many minutes. Um, that would be a good thing. But again, it's, it's whether, whether his camp would agree to that also.
1: I mean, so so here's like a little, just a little bit of a hypothetical with with Burks, and we and we talked about the sort of the variability of of Cantor, how you know it, he could have a really great year this year and inflate his value hugely, or he could have another really subpar year and really deflate what he's going to end up being worth with with Burks. So Burks shot 35 percent from three last year and nearly 40 from the corners. What happens if you know we know that shooting is one of the more variable elements of, of of developing younger players that it's something that we can see rapid improvements in over the years and, and Burks has made a a general improvement each year in the league his percentages don't always show up, but if you look at the more detailed stuff shot locations and things like that he's made gradual improvements in most of the, the jump shooting areas. What if we saw a sort of like a, a sort of a semi leap there and Burks really approached the forty percent plateau as a three point shooter? Are we all of a sudden starting to see situation where maybe we could there could be a little more variability than we're maybe initially thinking here with his value where if he does like you know if he does that and improves and even as the big homer for him that i am i, I will admit <laughs> i was gonna say the I, rose-colored glasses here they're are, on. are oh, they're very, on. very very rosy <laughs> they're always on but you're it,
0: just like you know if, if alec burke stays exactly the same but it becomes a tremendously better three-point shooter uh, it's not impossible. it's not it's not you're right it's not impossible and it's not even tremendously better he is underrated from there but like i, I think we should maybe slow down a little bit. Uh, okay.
1: Okay. Okay. And, and uh, you know, all I'm thinking is that if if you really have a chance to lock him up for that sort of small number, and that you know, six million a year is is you know, in for certain t- certain teams are paying bench players to that much. Like, didn't Patrick Patterson get around that much for the for the uh, Raptors?
2: Yeah, Patrick Patterson and Grues Vasquez both got they got around six, 6.5. Yeah. And you know, well, with the, with the, the way
1: record. we have the salary cap going up and projected to go up in the next few years, you know, paying a guy like that, who even if he really only tops out as a, as a, a great sixth man, like a, you know, a, a good energy guy off the kind of like what he was last year, but you know, it improves a couple elements around the fringes. Isn't that worth 6 million? I, I kind of think it is again, I've got the, we know I have the rosy glasses, super hardcore, but you know, <laughs> that, 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 that's kind of just what I think.
2: I mean, it's, it's, no, that wouldn't be worth six million. But if that's the downside, it's not that bad.
1: Yeah, like you know? if that's the it's floor. Not, I mean, yeah,
2: I mean the, the downside is he is is he becomes you know Landry Fields and you sign him to a contract based on that being his floor and it turns out for whatever reason he's unplayable. Yeah, um, and so that's you know that but that's you know that's a risk with everything. So, but you just have to you know uh, I, I, that doesn't seem especially likely. Um, given his, you know, kind of varied skill set, and you're right that if he becomes, you know, if he if he's all of a sudden a 38% three point shooter, and with kind of his his secondary, you know, offense creation abilities and and his his defensive abilities, he's suddenly a, a pretty interesting player, or in kind of a you know who would be an interesting guy for us to go get, kind of kind yeah, of, uh, um, because I mean, you know. The, Frankly, from a national perspective, the Jazz are probably going to be pretty under the radar again this year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there might be a little bit more interest based on on Exum, I think. Um, but but still, it's not going to be. They're not going to be. At least I don't think so. As of yet, going to be you know kind of appointment viewing. Even right. you know, sometimes, you know. The comparison is, you know, the Kings, where people would watch the Kings to see what if if Demarcus Cousins was gonna <laughs> they're gonna have a meltdown or something like that. Yeah, you know, uh, and and the Jazz nationally don't quite have that hook yet, though. Again, if if Exum starts doing doing right. silly things, um, then then that that can obviously change. Right.
0: Let me ask you one more question. While I know we've had you on for 15 minutes, but I want to ask you uh, on the analytical side of things you you uh, we talked about the piece you did um and i mean it's really you've got a really great idea of kind of where analytics is where it's going my biggest question is the public versus private split and in particular the analytics that's being done with within the 30 nba teams and the analytics that's being done outside of that how much how much do you think analytics will continue to develop separately i guess in those two categories and how much is that a problem for, um, I guess, basketball analytics fans moving forward?
2: Well, first of all, I think that that you know when you say analytics within the thirty teams, uh, you're not—it's not a—it's not, not any sort of homogenous entity. There's there's a huge split, uh, you know, and, and and I'm not I'm not that privy to you know exactly which team is doing what, but you know there's there's a, a pretty wide split between what you know. Teams are doing, and you know, and, and it's not necessarily the teams you hear about doing "quote unquote" analytics because uh, it, general managers know that that's a way to get you know good press for them is to talk about how they're investing in in, in, in you know quantitative analysis and and so that, like like I said, I mean, I think that uh, you know, frankly speaking, that that the, the the people in the public sphere are doing better stuff than than the quote analytics folks in in some teams. Now that isn't to say that. That, you know, in terms of, you know, basketball scouting and, 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 and eye tests and stuff like that, that, uh, that even the, the kind of the worst NBA team is, 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 is better than the vast majority of, you know, kind of the Twitter GMs. Um, but, uh, uh, but it's, uh, to answer your other question, um, the, the biggest issue is, is just the, the quality of the, of the, uh, kind of the input data. I mean, of the stuff that I've worked with with SportView is, is a tiny slice of kind of, the overall level of data and i've and i've you know heard you know off the record from people in inside teams that you know my my numbers are, are close but i'm missing some stuff and it's it's largely as a result of of you know the there's there's nuance and detail and context that 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 not having access to the full data set i uh, uh, you know i i just i can't capture and is, is that a problem I don't. I don't think so. I mean, I, I think that uh, that first of all, you got to remember that the people, you know, the stats Inc. Is, is running a business, so it's not in their interest to just, you know, <laughs> give all their numbers away. Yeah. Um. Uh, but all, But also, I mean, I think that, that worrying about stuff like that is a little bit letting the, the perfect be the enemy of the good. Uh, I mean, we can we're, we understand better than even if even if kind of the the kind of rim protection numbers I've, I've looked at aren't perfect. I think the, 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 just thinking about the, the logic of how it works and the concept, and some of the initial numbers kind of are, are, are better than, it, than, than, you know, it's uh, one of the kind of the surprising things that, that, that came up was that, that, you know, overall Anthony Davis wasn't that effective a rim protector last year. Now that, that sounds on the face of it, it's like, what are you talking about? He led the league in block shots. But then you look at the numbers, and first of all, New Orleans was terrible at defending the paint. And it's because, uh, you know, this is going a little bit outside the data, but that uh, he spent too much time chasing the ball, you know, 25 feet from the basket as part of their defensive scheme, um, and and so he wasn't actually at the rim to defend that many shots as compared to the average NBA big man. Well, that that's you know that, that that's that's useful information to have as opposed to just assuming, well, Anthony Davis he blocks all the shots. Therefore, you know, what does what New Orleans need Omar Ashik for? So that, um, I think that's that's something that, that can help our understanding, even if it's not perfect and not at the level of, you know, what the what the, the, the professionals have. And, and frankly, that's probably fine because, you know, what's what's the consequence if I'm wrong?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: that's <laughs> but, a, that's a very you know, interesting I, way I, to think of it. I,
2: and, you know, if... So versus, you know, it's it's you know a billion billion dollar industry and 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 you know pretty high paying and prestigious jobs are on the line with that stuff. So I, I would kind of expect them to have you know access to, to to better stuff, which you know frankly they're 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 paying for. Um, you know, it's it, it getting getting the, the 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 input data is time consuming and expensive. Whether you're doing it through you know a technology like Sport View or you know, some some sort of advanced kind of uh, very detailed charting system, and and that's not that's that's not free. It takes a, it takes someone a lot of time, whether you're paying someone internally or you're outsourcing it to a company that does it. Right. So it's so that's that's. Uh, I guess uh, uh, my wide-ranging thoughts on on that <laughs>
1: issue. No, I, I'm just glad I asked. Then, and, and and for those again uh, who wanted to check out this particular piece, it is on Nylon Calculus, which again is the analytics arm of Hardware Paroxysm. And the the title of the piece was "Splitting the Basketball Atom." I believe it. We still have it up on the sidebar generally because it's been it's been I think the, the one of the most, the best pieces that we've had on the site so far. Um, and it, and it it gets really deep into the into the. You, you talked a lot with Brian Kopp, who's uh, who's somebody inside Stats LLC. Which is uh, the the sport view uh, purveyors now? There's there's so like kind of like you were just saying there's so much stuff like the the, the stuff you've looked at the, the you know and uh, Seth also by the way has uh, has developed actual rim protection numbers from uh, uh, from the the publicly available data and those are sourced as well uh, on Nylon Calculus you can go look at those and get sort of a gauge of, of rim protection and. Uh, you know, the, you said that's just one very, very small slice of, of the vast abyss that is all the data that's out there, and whether or not it's available to us yet or not. Um, from the research that you've done, where do you think lie the the largest potential sources of real? tangible, relevant things that can then be applied on the court. Because we know, like, it's something that you mentioned within your pieces. There are certain elements of the publicly available data that really kind of don't tell us a whole lot in terms of actual relevant stuff. Like, yeah, we can find out how far players run in a game. For example, like... Okay, like maybe in the long run that might have some some injury related uh, effects and things like that, but really from a game to game basis, that's not telling us that much. Like guards are going to run I, more well, than. I,
2: I would I would all actually disagree with that. That, that you know uh, in the long term, I think I mean based on uh, I mean it, it's in the piece a little bit, but um, you know my conversations with with folks at Stats and and you know they have a partnership with Catapult, which is you know the wearable uh t- technology uh company and yeah. they can you know they can they can kind of measure the the athletic output of a player and so that that possibly allows you know the identification of of an issue uh, you know you know before it becomes kind of an acute injury i mean you can you can look at, on a week-to-week basis and say mm, i you know, so and so is 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 not accelerating, decelerating with quite as much force. Maybe there's something wrong. Let's 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 you know check him out and and see if his if he, we know he's had a problem with his quad. Let's take a look and see if there's something going on there before he you know he, he strains or tears a muscle or something like that. So now, while that's not you know directly on the court, I think that that you know that kind of that training, fitness, injury prevention uh, aspect. I think that's you know in terms of of a single uh, effect, I think that's the that's the the, the biggest one that, that a lot of this stuff can impact. And and how much of that is is training technique? How much of that is tracking technology? It, how much of that is, is sports medicine science? I mean, that's a lot to unpack there. But that's that's kind of a a little bit of a of a holy grail in terms of you know uh, you know keeping your best players on the floor is kind of a big deal. Oh yeah, you know. And, you know, so, that may,
1: it may not be like you're telling us specifically about a play on the court, but that has a ton of on-court relevancy. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and, and again, it's even if you can't necessarily capture all of it within the data, it's a, it's a kind of, a, again, about what you were talking about. It's going to be better. It's going to give us more than than what we had before. And and I think that's kind of the, the, gen, the, the, you know, that is a really good way of putting it from you is I think that's the whole thing here. And and of course, the ability to, to recognize which things are relevant and which things m- might sort of be able to be cast aside is going. To be a really important skill and a really coveted skill from these teams going forward, am I right?
2: Yeah, I agree, and 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 I think that that you know you're talking about the um, one of the things I think that the but I hope the general thrust of of that splitting the atom piece was is that it's not going to be one large you know eureka discovery. This is one number that that you know captures the value of of every of every player. And, and rank them 1 through 450 and now we know who the best guys in the NBA are it's going to you're going to be able to dial in much more specifically all right we were weak in our our big men defending the pick and roll let's let's figure out who what a what they're doing wrong uh which you know kind of the 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 spatial analysis of of the sportview really can help with but also who are some people who are who are good at that um, if we're trying to get our guy better, let's, you know, identify plays where, where bad things happen and show him tape of that so he can improve um, and, and so get incrementally better in that area. Or if, if you know, we just realize that it's never going to happen, he doesn't have quick enough feet, he's not aware enough, whatever, uh, then who are some guys we should look at getting who might be, you know, undervalued and, you know, competent enough at other things we need? that that his his uh his uh, better ability at that, you know, tiny skill is enough to help us. And I think that that really, you know, breaking those finite skills down because uh, again, we you know, a lot of the stuff we we we've we've typically talked about has been very blunt in terms of, you know, uh, you know, this this guy is good at offense. Well, there's there's a lot more that goes into that and we're kind of realizing that, you know, there're are certain certain skills that that you need on the floor and it's not it's not revolutionary that you know you need someone who can who can uh handle the ball and 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 bend the defense either off, you know with with penetration or off pick and roll and stuff like that and so identifying who's good at that and sort of how they're doing it is an improvement yeah um and and those small you know incremental increases in understanding are really where the the the, the games are going to be on the margins rather than Again, it's not going to be—it's it's not going to be like the eureka moment in baseball where, like, oh my god, on base percentage. I don't think I think that uh, that basketball is both more complex, and the existing understanding of it is really not
0: that bad
2: to to to, to, to require um, uh, uh, you know that kind of sea change of a uh, uh, of an understanding.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's a good point. Um, so, thanks again, Seth, for joining us. Um, I mean, just both parts of that conversation were great. Thanks again for the national perspective and, of course, the stats perspective. You can check out Seth's work on, uh, throughout the hard work, Hardwood Paroxysm Network. He, Matt Moore made that especially difficult to pronounce. Um, but, and of course on Twitter at where offense happens, but you know, backspace all the vowels out of that phrase. Uh, probably so, the,
2: the, the easiest way if I can, I, I actually, I was realizing I was writing too many places. So I started a Tumblr just so I could have okay. <laughs> links to all of them. It's just SethPartNow part Tumblr. So oh, I didn't even, um, I didn't perfect. even know about that. That's sweet. Yeah, I that. just, in the last week I've done that. Nice. So, <laughs> cool.
1: Yeah. Well, th- thanks again, Seth. Have a good one. Thanks for having me. Thanks a bunch Seth yes Seth is, is really great to have on he, he's got such a you know he obviously in the last the last little couple of months he specialized sort of in the player tracking and things like that but he his he's really well versed in all the aspects he, he does a lot he actually pointed out to me earlier this year a a little minor tweak in uh, in Hayward's shooting motion uh, that he mm. was using his left his offhand a little bit too much involved in the motion and uh, and whether or not we might see a little bit of a change back to the because to, he didn't used to do that like it's kind of something that's come along just just in last year, really. And, you know, so – and that's just kind of a thing that, you know – a lot of the time we think of the of people that are really involved in the analytics and things like that is you know that's all they look at and they just look at the numbers and things like that and while i think smart people have have, have moved past that sort of stigma pr- uh, pretty well uh, you know Seth's someone who really embodies the idea that that's uh, analytics isn't that analytics isn't necessarily just looking at the numbers analytics is looking at everything you have available to you and this the, the sport view Vantage stuff is just another potentially huge well of stuff that we have available which is which is really awesome i think
0: yeah and it's cool that there are these kind kind of role models for, I mean, not only just people like you and I, but uh, I think fans in general that, you know, you can use analytics and you can use scouting and you can use the, even the eye test a little bit, so to speak, to figure out uh, the total value of what a player is and and how he can contribute to a, a whole team. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> there was a lot to digest from that. Um, wanted, first of all, 318 for Burks. It's not going it. to happen. Everyone would do it. I would do it. I mean, I, yeah, that, that's to me. That's just. I think that's too low. I think the Jazz end up getting a eight or nine million dollar extension done just because. I mean, just three eighteen is is so
1: cheap. Three twenty four. Okay. Three twenty two. You don't. You think yeah. they go for three years rather than four, I guess? I, I mean, if it was me, I'd be trying to lock him up for four, but that's, you know, again, that's my rosy-colored glasses. Maybe you, <laughs> maybe you do some type of an option in the fourth year. Um, no, you, but
0: I, I think, yeah, I think that's reasonable um, to try to lock someone who is, uh, he's 23 years old, right? And yeah. to lock him up for four years, I think, is what the Jazz would like to do as they try to build the score moving forward, especially given, you know, the rising cap that we keep mentioning over and over again, but that means that in year four, it'll be hard
1: to have a bad salary. Yeah, like, you know, if you get him at, at at an average of seven per year and you get him for four years, there's, like, it's really difficult for that fourth year to be killing you when the salary cap is close to, like, $80 million at that point. Like right. When you're not even paying 10% of your cap to a guy who's still, you know, th- that floor we talked about is, I think really what he did last year is his, is his floor, as of going forward. But, but that's, again, could be the glasses, but I, 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 I really do think that's somewhat close to his floor. I don't think he's getting markedly worse than that
0: I, I i mean maybe but things happen you they know do. like it's true let he landry brought fields up the landry fields comp and you know his best season was his rookie season true. and then fell apart from there and you don't think a guy's gonna be worse after that but again things happen jaron collins best season was his rookie season yeah. i mean you you actually see this more often than you think and you you know you think that a player's development is all positive that the The derivative here is all always a positive derivative in terms of like the players always get better that's not always the case things go wrong sometimes and i think it's important to realize that when you're kind of looking at these kind of extension possibilities and uh, again that's kind of the information thing i brought up last before seth joined us where you know maybe it's good to have that fourth year of information so you know who these guys are before you extend them The good news is that the Jazz do have lots of time to figure out whether or not these extensions will happen. So, you know, it's not a decision they have to make today. But it is something that they may be talking about with the agents as they move forward you know trying to get something done early so they you know don't have to push it towards the last minute because that's i think when there's a lot of drama there's a lot of there's
1: media getting involved right and there, yeah lots of rumors and things like that maybe if you get it locked up before then a player doesn't start hearing a whole bunch of people talking about him and, and touting him and things like that and maybe he's w- more willing to accept a team-friendly deal that i don't know how much that really plays into a player's decision-making process but you never know could could have a little effect
0: yeah no and it's you know for a organization that likes to stand or the radar a little bit like the jazz do it may make sense to start those conversations now anyway we're almost out of time which means it's time for our crazy trade idea of the week this one's not that crazy i don't think so at all but i i think we could actually see something like this happening and with this week's kevin love to the cleveland cavaliers trade i guess it's not official yet but you know it's been reported that the two teams have agreed to move kevin love to cleveland uh, in return for Andrew Wiggins, Anthony Bennett and a number
1: one pick. As a, as a quick aside here, just sorry, really fast. I, I find it really great that we the, the handshake agreement got reported, I think, first by Haverstrow, uh or, or Wind, sorry, Windhorst. Sorry, Windhorst. Okay. Windhorst. I confuse the two of them sometimes. Uh, uh, Windhorst uh, on the radio one day, and that was like three days ago or something like that. And then yesterday, Woj confirmed it. And that's when like ESPN and Fox and all the big outlets started running. It is like they just they wait for Woj to confirm it. And I like I was talking to my buddy, another friend of mine actually who writes for the the Washington Post as well as Seth. Uh, uh, and I was talking to him, and he was like, "Is Woj like holding these teams hostage? Like, is Woj is he waiting?" Into, and this is a joke, obviously, just for those who didn't catch it. Is is uh, is Woj standing there like you know? Because it, it's true, the deal could still technically go back. A handshake agreement isn't necessarily final, and they can't make the real deal until the twenty third. Is 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 Woj just sitting? there like if you guys go back on this deal I will end your careers like because I have announced this publicly and I cannot no. be wrong now yeah like, and,
0: and so he can he can do one of his classic hit pieces on them yeah yeah no I I mean I don't think that's the case at all I think yeah. Woj, from what I hear actually Woj is actually a really good guy um, but I think there is a big difference between reporting something on the radio in a guest segment compared to actually writing an article True. and having it be out there for everyone to read and, and understand each and every bit of what you're reporting. Yeah, very true. Um, anyway, sorry, sidebar. But yeah. No, I, I think it's an important one. So anyway, the crazy trade of the week with Minnesota getting rid of Kevin Love, they're obviously going in a new direction and I think the Jazz can help facilitate that direction and I think help them with this... This point guard thing. So um, in case you're unfamiliar, and we talked about it a little bit this week on Salt City Hoops, David J. Smith had an article, I'd welcome you to check it out on saltcityhoops.com, about the Jazz needing a third point guard. First of all, the Jazz have always had a third point guard. um, But I think they also want someone with veteran experience to both kind of lead Dante Exum and Trey Burke. And also be able to play minutes at a higher level than if um, than John Lucas III did last season, or especially Jamal Tinsley, Deontay Garrett, too. All three of those guys had PERs under 10, right? They're yeah. just uh, bottom-of-the-barrel replacement level or worse players. And I think the Jazz would want someone better than that as they try to develop the rest of their roster uh, around a... Uh, the other point guards. So, you know, if Trey Burke does go down for 10 games again, then you have a stopgap that doesn't destroy the team um, before the season even starts like it did last year. So the idea here is to trade J.J. Barea, the the infamous J.J. Barea from Minnesota, um, for a second-round pick. It the Jets have lots a... of second-round picks. They yeah. just acquired one in the Jarnell Stokes deal. Um, they have just acquired one in the Carrick-Felix deal could even maybe send two if they were just if they acquired were being, one in the Steve Novak
1: deal <laughs> yeah they we, they've got plenty of second round picks around and the, the Minnesota's trying to you know was fairly public actually about trying to or at least there were a lot of rumors who knows if they were the ones initiating them but there were a lot of rumors about within this love deal how they wanted to offload the salaries of both Kevin Martin and of JJ Barea because they see those as, as sort of deadweight salaries at the moment and uh, while Martin is a little bit more expensive and given if he were to pick up a player option it would mean he has three years left on his deal That's a little bit lengthy For a team like the Jazz And what they're trying to do With their plans uh, Berea, on the other hand is an expiring uh, He's at four and a half Million for this upcoming year. That's a number the Jazz could easily swallow. They still wouldn't even be at the cap after doing so. And you know, I think that's a really reasonable deal. berea is a, a little bit of a spark plug type of guy. He can come off the bench and do little fun things for you. He can shoot the ball reasonably well. And uh, and yeah, he's gonna he's somebody who's been around and who's got the sort of the craftiness and, and some of the some of the creativity that maybe uh, our, our our younger point guards are gonna kind of need to develop over the next few years.
0: Yeah. So last season was JJ berea's probably worst season of at least the last six or seven years of his NBA career. Since his rookie season, he did only shoot 38% from the field and only shot 31% from three. So mm-hmm. I may dispute you that he's a good shooter yeah, at least right now. Yeah, I didn't realize it was that bad. I, I think the Jazz are looking for that sort of toughness also that J.J. Uh, Brewer could bring, that, that kind of, again, fight and effort that he was kind of made famous for in the 2011 Dallas Mavericks playoff run.
1: Yeah, yeah, and he, you know, I I, I think that he's the, the the type of a fun presence that you might like to have. And and again, we, we always talk about guys who the Jazz fans are going to like. Jazz fans would love JJ Berreau. He'd be he'd be so much fun trying to take charges from like seven foot guys in the lane and stuff yeah. like that. He'd be great.
0: Yeah, or getting killed by Andrew Bynum if he's in the league next season. <laughs> anyway, that's that's it for our show. Let us know what you think about the that trade idea or anything else on the show on Twitter. You can follow me at Andy B Larson or at Ben Dowsett. Thanks again for joining us on the Salt City Hoops podcast. Until next time.